The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'll be bringing you the stories that matter at the heart of communities across the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KMCommunity on social media or you can email me on okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week, tourism is an industry that matters to Kent. It was estimated the tourism industry in the county was worth £3.8 billion in 2017, with a record 65 million annual visitors. With Brexit looming though, what does this mean for businesses big and small? And how can they prepare for changes which may alter our county's position in the global tourism sphere? To discuss this, I'm joined by Deirdre Wells, OBE, CEO of Visit Kent. She tells me we need to be aggressively welcoming in light of leaving the European Union. The KM Community Podcast. Deirdre Wells, welcome to the KM Community Podcast. It's good to be here. And thanks for thanks for taking the time. So, uh, Deirdre, how important is the tourism industry to this county? Well, really important. Um, We get about 65 million visitors to Kent every year, so we are probably one of the most successful destinations outside London. Um, So we already do incredibly well. Um, And what's really important is those visitors bring about £3.8 billion to the Kent economy. Um, And that makes tourism one of the biggest employers in Kent. We account for about 10% of all jobs. So really really significant and it's not that surprising because we are of course you know a major gateway into the uk um and we're a very big county and a very um diverse county in terms of what we have to offer so whether you're looking for the sort of traditional heritage type experience um you know wonderful castles that we've got or you know you want to do a wonderful walk at country walk or take afternoon tea or go to a vineyard or you've got the coast so it's very diverse that way, which is, is, is really helpful. Um, so, I mean, my job obviously is to keep that growing. Um, and we've been, you know, delighted that, um, you know, we've grown about 6% this year, which is on top of a year from last year, which was also growing. So, um, you know, although we do very well, um, our job really is to make sure that, you know, inevitably, there is always peaks and troughs, whether it's times of the year where we're quieter or some people, some for some areas, their midweek business might be quite quiet and the weekends are rammed. So it's trying to smooth those out a bit so that people feel that they've got a kind of um, a year-round benefit from tourism. And I think we have, I suppose, a number of different audiences to serve. So again, because we're a big county, a lot of our um, day visits, which dominate our our visitor numbers, are from Kent residents um, and who turn out to be probably our best ambassadors in terms of both discovering what's on their own doorstep, but of course inviting friends and family to to come and experience that, um, which we promote um, specifically through something called the Big Weekend, which is an opportunity for residents to bid into a ballot um, and you know get tickets to local attractions and what that's great for is it's a nice thank you from us to um, our local residents but as I say you know they are our greatest ambassadors and quite often will bring people with them so you've got your local residents obviously being on the doorstep of London you know huge opportunity to get people to come and discover what's on their back door Um, and what's interesting um, I've been working in tourism a long time now um, and one must never assume that people know where anything is or how far away it is so 
And particularly, interestingly, um, uh, and I'm hesitating to say this because, you know, I'm being interviewed by a millennial, but um, younger people maybe who grew up going on um, holidays abroad are probably more used to getting on a plane to go to Magaluf or whatever for the, you know, or to Prague for the weekend and maybe less thinking about, you know, maybe going to Canterbury for the weekend or, you know, down to Chatham. Um, and some of that's what our job is to re-educate people about what is quite close by. Um, and I mean, London's a very lucrative market. It's a very um, big opportunity for us. Um, and I think particularly um, as we have a, a, um, a growing awareness of the sort of sustainable impact of tourism, to be able to encourage people to, you know, get on a train rather than a plane and just, you know, have a really fantastic weekend at a time when people are probably a bit time poor. Um, so, you know, maybe spending six hours in an airport is not particularly what you might want to do. And actually you jump on a train and suddenly you're in a wonderful vineyard or you're at a gin distillery or doing all sorts of cool stuff that you didn't even know existed. And the third, I suppose, big um, uh, area for us is, of course, is our inbound uh, tourists. Um, and, you know, again, as you would understand, you know, because of our geographical position, um, we have a very strong um, inbound uh, tourist economy, um, major links with France and the Netherlands, um, but also do very well with um, the US, um, do particularly well with pre and post cruise um, business as well. So um, a really great opportunity to be able to, um, uh, I suppose, give visitors almost that quintessential English experience that they expect when they come here. Right, when you land as well. Right, Completely, yeah, absolutely. And um, and the reason why the inbound tourist market is so important is they are the highest spending of all of the markets. They are probably the most likely to stay overnight. Um, and one of the really interesting things when you dig under some of our data is that, as I said earlier, we have a very strong day visitor market. Um, of those 65 million visitors that we talked about, um, 5 million of them are overnight stays, so a really kind of quite tiny proportion. But actually of the nearly £4 billion that they bring, £1 billion of that is from overnight stays. So as you can see, you know, we only have to shift that dial a little bit, get people to stay even just one night rather than just come for the day. Um, and suddenly we're bringing in huge revenue to the economy. Um, and that really is our main goal because, um, you know, to be able to get people just to spend a little bit longer is really important. Um, I think one of the, the key things is, is um, not only, um, I suppose, articulating to them what they can do here, but where they can stay, ensuring that we've got the right sort of product to um, convince them to stay, um, that they don't just kind of whiz up to London or from London and out the other side, that you know, there, there is an opportunity for them to, to even just take an overnight and, and stay a little bit longer. And a lot of that is around having the right sort of accommodation, um, but also I think being able to explain to people how they can turn a, a day visit into an overnight stay. Mm. And, and speaking of accommodation, and this is something I think obviously as an organisation you have to really roll with the times. You talk about the fact that millennials might want to maybe jump on a plane rather than stay local and then that's all about kind of thinking about what people's perceptions are of breaks and, and spending and what they spend their time on whilst they're not working. One of the things I think is interesting in, in terms of accommodation single night use is Airbnb, mm. which has been something that's been huge in 
in the last few years. And you, yeah. if you now search for Airbnbs in Kent, you're going to get so many results. And I wonder if you if you see that as a positive or a negative thing, because in some ways I think it might empower some communities for people to go and stay in places that they might not have otherwise stayed because there may not be a hotel there or something. And you, you can stay basically where other locals are staying. On the other hand, that may be taking away business from hotels that are already well established. So do you have a position on that? Um, it's a really good question. I think there is not a one-size-fits-all answer to accommodation in the county. Um, you're absolutely right. The, the sharing economy, where it's, whether it's Airbnb or other platforms, you know, is a hugely disruptive, and I mean that in the, in the, in the most positive sense of the, of the word, um, for the, very empowering for the consumer, offering all sorts of quirky, interesting, cost-effective accommodation that didn't exist or wasn't, um, I suppose, on offer to the customer many years ago. And absolutely, I think, um, provides a, uh, a route to market, um, particularly to that millennial group who are used to being able to do it um, in other destinations. So it's absolutely vital. I think two things about it. One is, um, uh, I think it has to be managed. You know, nobody. We've all heard horror stories about you know residents almost being driven out of their own city because it's much more lucrative for landlords to kind of just turn it into Airbnb, you know, land. Um, and actually, I think you know whether that's in you know places like Barcelona have had challenges on that front, and I think that's. Um, there's a real risk there because actually one of the reasons why people like Airbnb is that feeling that you're living like a local. And if there are low locals around, then, you know, very quickly it does feel like you're in some sort of, you know, sort of weird um, uh, Truman Show type, you know, um, uh, experience. Um, so I think, you know, as in everything, it's moderation. It's making sure that that is part of the offer rather than the whole offer. The interesting um, uh, impact on hotels is quite um, uh, is an interesting one in the sense that there probably is a bit of a competition in the sense of are they offering something different. However, we haven't got enough bed stock. Full stop. So, if you are a um, a corporate client, if you are a, um, a a US tour group, you're not going to stay in Airbnb anyway. And actually, we need the sort of hotels that can do that conferencing offer, that can do, um, you know, international groups, um, as well as the boutique hotels that will be doing those, you know, lovely weekend breaks, as well as your Airbnb offer. Um, the other thing that's really interesting, just as a kind of trend that your listeners might be interested in, is... Um, you know, very sort of slightly crudely, anything that's a bit unusual is selling. So whether it's, you know, the fantastic offer that we've got in Port Lim in terms of tree houses or pods or, you know, um, amazing Serengeti tents, they are booked out and have been right the way through the recession. People are looking for something unusual and different. And very often Airbnb can provide that um, or provide something flexible or, as you say, fill a gap with the accommodations there. I think if we see Airbnb or any of the other sharing platforms as a solution to our accommodation problem, then I think we are deluding ourselves because um, a destination as big as ours needs your four-star, 200-bedroom hotel, um, which can attract conference business, the sort of business that we're maybe losing to London and also tour groups who at the moment 
potentially are staying in London and day tripping out to, to Canterbury. Um, because And you only need maybe two or three of them in the county. But without that, you can't host the sort of um, conferences that, that really bring some vital um, out-of-season business to communities and also provide a... Um, a pathway for employees, you know, to think that actually you can go from, you know, receptions right up to general manager. They're, they're the sort of training grounds that a lot of um, people can access in, in bigger conurbations. That's interesting because that's not potentially what you would think of when you think of hotels you forget that the whole corporate side of things and the fact that it does bring yeah. a lot of business to local communities. Yeah. And I think back to my point earlier about, you know, peaks and troughs because you'll find you know, obviously corporate business, very busy sort of Tuesday to Thursday, um, and those, but those hotels are then very dependent on the le- leisure business to fill that, fill their bedrooms and at, the, at the weekend. So there's a kind of a symbiotic relationship between them. Um, so, you know, we need both. And I, f- I feel like sort of it's a bit of an elephant in the room so we have to talk about it so i know that you uh, you worked for uk inbound yeah. previously which is the trade association for those that are listening that don't know and you were an advocate a passionate advocate for talking about things like visas and brexit and the impact of that and obviously brexit and the fact that we're so close and we're as you say the gateway to the uk a lot of our business relies on people coming in and, and, and visiting um that could in theory um be at in some kind of threat in the next few months. So how, how do you foresee Brexit impacting tourism in the county? Um, well, I'm not sure when this podcast is going out, but it may have all changed again. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you put it out in an hour, it might change. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think that makes things very difficult for people um, trying to plan. Um, and that, I think, is, is, is the biggest challenge. There's also um, a concern that, you know, investment decisions like hotels are being slightly um, delayed. Although I think... We are still seeing people coming. We are still seeing um, people investing. It's because the product is really strong. I think the way I see it, and I, I used to talk about this one in my old job as well, is we need to be, we, I mean, we need to be more kind of aggressively welcoming, um, if I can put it that way, because I think there's probably been a bit of complacency in the UK, generally, not just in terms of Kent, uh, that people will come anyway. Why wouldn't you want to come to London? You know, it's a fantastic, world-class city. If they come to London, we can get them to do a few other bits while they're here. Um, but when you look at global trends in terms of who's travelling and where they're going to, interestingly, feeling welcome is really high up the decision tree in terms of where I'm going to go because people have got a world menu of where they're going to go. Um, and if it's a bit more difficult or people feel they may not feel as welcome, that's a, that's a potential problem. So I don't think we can be com- complacent. And I think what we have to ensure is whatever the future arrangements are at the, at the border, that people feel when they arrive that they are welcome, whether they're business, or, you know, they're coming here to do business or to study or to, um, you know, to visit, that we want them here um, and that we are working hard to be able to give them the best possible experience while they're here. The other thing I think we need to be really um, mindful of as we start a new dawn where we're building new trade links, um, it's really interesting that 19% of all inward investment decisions are made by people who came to the particular destination as a visitor first. And, and you know, it's quite a compelling stat, but if you think about it for more than a nanosecond, you think, well, actually, 
in terms of relocating, whether it's your business or your home, it's made those decisions can be made by the fact that you had an amazing weekend. And I, I'm losing track of the amount of conversations I've had with people who've moved their business to Kent because of the lifestyle. Mm. Um, so in a, in a funny sort of way, the visitor economy has got more to offer than just the kind of traditional perceptions of tourist dollars and tourist euros into the, into the economy. This is around almost enabling inward investment, relocation, um, and that, and I think we have a duty almost, because we are on the front line of the country, to be able to ensure that our welcome is first class. That, you know, um, whether that's the logistics or whether that's the attitude of our port authorities and our um, border force, but also every single person that's in a coffee shop and a hotel that really goes out of their way. That could be things around, you know, improving that customer service, but it could be things around language teaching. You know, it's it's just about future-proofing ourselves. Um, I am convinced that if we did nothing, people would come anyway. Would they come um, uh, in the numbers that they could do without us trying a bit harder and compensating for any, you know, uh, I suppose, friction that we may have at the border, um, whatever the deal ultimately ends up? Probably not. Would we, is there an opportunity for us to gain more in terms of business investment if we try a bit harder? Absolutely. Um, and so that, for me, is the kind of, I suppose, the big call to arms. The other um, opportunity is whatever happens over the next few months, you know, we have got the 149th open next year. There is a major Beckett anniversary. There is a major Dickens anniversary. We've got the Turner Prize happening. These things are happening whether Brexit happens or not. Um, and... You know, we can either hunker down and just hope the damage isn't too bad or we then think, no, we actually need to to almost rebuild and use these big events to go, we're here, we're welcoming, um, we're open, we're proud, you know, next year. Uh, we might need to change some of um, the logistics around them. So, for example, um, you know, can we do more to push rail first as a strategy rather than assuming everybody's going to come in their car? Um, a good thing to do from the environment perspective anyway. Um, who are we marketing to? You know, is it a, a sense that we may need to focus much more on domestic marketing and on London marketing while the arrangements, particularly the border arrangements with um, our near neighbours is sorted out? Um, because one of the things you'll find a lot of, particularly with school groups, um, French and Dutch and German school groups, they need certainty. They're booking now for next summer. Uh, and if we don't know what the arrangements are in terms of the border controls, that's quite challenging. So, you know, the sooner that, uh, and I'm sure I'm echoing what every industry leader would say, the sooner we know what the hell's going on, the better, because it allows people to plan. Um, but I would also caution people rushing for a deal that is suboptimal what you want is something that's going to work for the uk for the long term and that is going to reinforce that message that we are open and welcoming rather than um rushing to a short-term solution that may not be optimal for business
Because what's concerning, I think, just going back slightly about uh, talking about being aggressively welcome in your words, you know, it's an interesting way of putting it. Um, I guess the, the, the fear of that is, is that, that Brexit as a general idea may, may put people off once the deal's been done. And that there's, there's always been this idea that some people have that, well, the UK didn't want to be part of Europe, therefore they are closing themselves off in some ways. So therefore may be difficult for us to be as welcoming as we can because by this point the damage is already done and the idea that Britain didn't want to be part of the European Union has already happened. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Visit Britain, who we work with very closely, has been doing a lot of um, research into sentiment from um, our near European neighbours. And actually what has been you know, reasonably heartening over the last few years is... Um, although there was real concern that that would happen, in terms of is it affecting people's desire to travel? No, not at the moment. Um, we had a bit of a bounce, actually, when the pound dropped and suddenly um, the UK looks like a really strong um, uh, value proposition. That seems to be levelling off a bit now. You're getting much more into the kind of devils in the detail about, well, do I need a passport to travel or can I still travel on my ID card? You know... Will I need a visa? All of those things are starting to kind of um, bubble up as concerns. Because some of these things, I mean, um, driving licence validity, for yeah. example, or health insurance, how's that going to work? Customs yeah. roles. These things are, now we, if we are getting cl edging closer to a deal, these are going to be the things that will maybe determine whether someone comes to visit the UK or not, or Kent for a Yes, example. absolutely. I mean, I think there's, you know, there is a suite of things that we've probably taken for granted over many years, whether we're travelling outbound or people are coming here. In terms of, as you say, anything from driver's license to, you know, um, health insurance, all of those sort of things. Um, and that's where the clarity, you know, if we end up in a transition phase, and of course we've got a lot of time to sort all that out, um, and the existing arrangements will last for some time, hopefully all through the, um, the events um, extravaganza we have next year. But... You know, it's about ensuring that whatever the future arrangements are, whether they're done on a multilateral or bilateral basis, that people are clear and understand. But that's almost, to me, separate. to the, There's the kind of logistics and the procedures, and then there's a narrative that overlays that. And I think governments have got to be very mindful of the sort of rhetoric and the impact that can have. So if there is a sense that... Um, you know, we are creating a much more hostile environment, to use that phrase, in terms of immigration. That can, I don't think we can be complacent that that may not, that that won't have an impact on visitors. Um, but actually, a lot of, um, you know, visitor experience is based on what happens when they get here. Um, and providing that really world-class welcome and when I say world-class welcome I, it, this is not around you necessarily providing a five-star hotel it's a you know one of the interesting things TripAdvisor will say the difference between getting a five bubble review and a four bubble review is that most the five bubble reviews will mention somebody by name and that is because the person has you know engaged with a customer sufficiently that they've either clocked their name badge or they've asked their name because, you know, Johnny was fantastic with my bags when I got to that hotel and he really helped me, you know. And that, I think, you know, you don't have to legislate for that. You just have to train for it and encourage it. Yeah. Um, one more question from you, Deirdre, before we wrap up. Um, if you were to give some advice to businesses across Kent leading up to this, this deadline, no deal, 
a deal, whatever might happen. Um, it's di- maybe difficult to say, but and this is for businesses large and small because all of these businesses help the community. What would you say to these businesses just to try and weather against what may or may not happen in the next few weeks? I would say spread bet and buy local. So by spread betting, I mean don't put all your eggs in the inbound basket. Likewise, don't put all your eggs in the local. Um, you know, we need, we need uh, local residents um, as your um, customers. Likewise, you need, you know, greater UK and you need inbound um, keep as many balls in the air as possible. Um, uh, in terms of buying local, you know, we are blessed here in the Garden of England that we have some amazing produce. Um, not only does that tap into a bit of a zeitgeist around living like a local and local produce, and there's a whole, you know, sort of, you know, tourism book around how, um, how attractive that is to the consumer, it's also very green, but at the moment, you know, relying on imported food is probably, um, you might want to shift the balance, shall we say, a little bit more to locally sourced food. Um, and the last one will be, be aggressively welcoming. Deirdre Wells, thank you very much. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.